Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father God in heaven, we do come before you this morning looking to you to bless us through the reading of your word, through the proclamation of your word, but most of all for what the word is teaching us. It's teaching us about Jesus, your son, who is the Christ and who is preeminent over all things. It is a word that we need to regularly hear for we are forgetful people. We pray that you would speak to us this morning in a way that we would put it into remembrance and live our lives that reflect him in all things. Holy Spirit, do that work. Not only illumine our hearts and minds, but plant the word within us that we may bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to this passage, I got to confess to you this morning, all Sundays I get a little bit nervous before preaching. I do it all the time. Um, Occasionally, if you'll look at me over here, you might see me, I'm not hyperventilating. It's just (laughs) um, getting ready to preach the Word of God. It's a fearful thing. This passage, more so than, than many, because of what it deals with, um, I got I, I feel inadequate to really bring this word to you, but I will, by the Holy Spirit, do the best that I can. F.F. F. Bruce, a commentator and theologian, said this is one of the greatest Christological passages in the entire New Testament. And we come to see not only his humanity, but his deity. And that is a fine balance to have. The humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. We, we can't, if you've seen a seesaw in schoolyards and children that are playing on it and they, one end goes down and then they push up and it goes back and forth. But if you think of that as the scales of balance, uh, when it comes to Christ, we have to have a balance of His humanity and His deity. But the problem in Colossae was they were thinking because of Greek philosophy, because of the Jewish law, because of Eastern mysticism, that Christ wasn't enough. We needed Christ and something more. And Paul knew that they're seeing Jesus too much as a human being and not enough or not at all as deity, as very God of very God. So here's the question for you this morning as we we get started. Uh, I asked this question in our meeting on Thursday of the elders and the deacons. How do you perceive Christ? How do you think of Him? How do you view Him? How do you perceive Christ? I mean, many of us get caught up in sentimentality. It's easy to do, particularly during Advent. We have our little hallmark moment. We have baby Jesus. And we get all caught up in manger scenes and and the little baby Jesus in the manger. I'm not trying to be blasphemous here. Not at all. I'm just trying to convey to you thoughts that I have in my own mind. Again, confession of how do we perceive Jesus? Is that who we perceive Him as? Many of us will think about the grace of God. And we'll think of passages 
such as Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn there with me for just a moment. Matthew chapter 11. And in verse 28, Jesus is saying this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we see Jesus as compassionate, as caring, as loving, inviting us in. And that is necessary to see Him that way. To see Him as inviting, to see Him as approachable. But at the same time, Jesus is God. No less God than the Father. No less God than the Holy Spirit. We serve a triune God, one God in three persons. I went out recently to visit my brother in Oregon. And I think I might have shared this. I don't know if I shared it last week or not. I did with with the elders and deacons on uh, Thursday evening. And I happened to watch the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you're familiar with that book, if you're familiar with the movie version of it, at the very end, there's been a coordination. And Lucy is out on the balcony And Mr. Tumnus comes up and they see Aslan walking off into the sunset, so to speak. And Mr. Tumnus says, don't worry, Lucy, he'll come back again. And Lucy's like, well, when? And he goes, we don't know. And then he says this, he says, we mustn't press him. After all, he's not a tame lion. But Lucy says, but he is good. That's this balance in the way we are to perceive Jesus. Not tame, but good. And so when you think about things, when you think about God and you think about man, the two differences between those two nouns Think of the children of Israel. Think of Mount Sinai for just a moment. Moses ascends Mount Sinai. The the earth is quaking. There is thunder and lightning. There is a cloud covering the top of Mount Sinai. Humans, the people of Israel, the children of Israel are fearful. They want to go prostrate. They even tell Moses... Don't let God talk to us. You talk to us. And so we have this huge chasm between God and man. And then there is the Lord Jesus. As Paul will tell Timothy in 1 Timothy, He is the only mediator between God and man. Because He is this perfect balance of very God of very God and very human of very human. Brought together not confused, perfectly together. We have a tendency to think of God in hallmark moments. 
We think of him like that passage in, that I read in Matthew 11. Very inviting, very ap- approachable. And, and that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But brothers and sisters, he is God like no other. And our passage this morning that I put before you, I entitled this message, Christ the Preeminent. Christ the Preeminent. We'll have three points in here. The text very easily leads us in this direction. Verses 15 and 16, Christ the Creator. Verse 18, Christ the Sustainer. Or 17, Christ the Sustainer. Verse 18 and 19, Christ the Redeemer. But in all of these, He is God. And so I chose this title again, Christ the Preeminent, because I was thinking about language in the wardrobe and that coronation that takes place. And it was Lucy the Valiant when she is crowned. It's, it's Peter the Just, or Edward the Just. And then it's Susan the Gentle. And then it's Peter the High King the magnificent. And so we want to look at how do we perceive Jesus this morning in these points. Um, many of us tend to compartmentalize our lives as well in the way we see Jesus. And we'll say, yep, he's the creator. Yep. Yeah, he's the sustainer. Yeah, he's my redeemer. And all of those qualify, all those attributes of who he is. I think of those every single Sunday. And then I forget about it the rest of the week. I go back to my own life. It's as if the spiritual is where He is God. But in my everyday life, He's just man. We need to have that balance each and every day. How do we perceive God? How do we perceive Jesus? He is preeminent. In all these things, He is our Creator, Sustainer, and our Redeemer. Well, let's look at this passage in terms of Jesus, Christ the Creator. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. That word for image actually means a portrait, a lifelike representation An ancient papyrus was discovered many, many years ago. A Greek soldier had written to his father in Italy. And he used this word image, which is, we would think of it in terms of icon. And he says, I'm sending you, Father, a little portrait of me that you would know all as well. Well, Paul here is saying that Jesus is the image The author of Hebrews goes further to say the exact representation of God. The radiance of His glory. He is the only true representation of God. He is the revelation of God, John will say in his gospel. And Christ is all of that. In verse 18, after that great passage, it talks about how Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. In other words, Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father, He is the only one that has revealed who God is because He Himself is God. 
In John's Gospel, in chapter 14, Jesus is there with the disciples. And, and Philip approaches him and he says, Jesus, show us, show us the Father. Show us God, is what he's saying. Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So God, the Father, does this in Jesus, shows himself by Jesus being the image of God, the exact representation of And he is the image of the invisible God. No one has seen God at any time. No one can see God. Yet Jesus is God, veiled in the flesh. Paul again, in his letter to Timothy, he says, You alone have immortality. You dwell in unapproachable light. And no one has ever seen or can see you. He is the image of the invisible God. And then he goes a step further. He's taking us up the staircase here and saying that he is the firstborn of all creation. How many of you have heard a Jehovah's Witness use that particular verse there to say that Jesus is created? It says it right here. It says, is he firstborn of creation? But they missed the point. That's not what the word firstborn means. Like Princess Bride. I don't think they know what that word means. What you think it means is not what that means. And that's not the case with firstborn here. Firstborn is not speaking about a physical birth. It's not talking about you're the first one that is born in that physical birth. It's talking about a position. It's talking about a rank and authority that comes with being firstborn. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, God calls Israel His firstborn son. Now they're not the firstborn even of all the nations of the world. It wasn't until Jacob was called Israel that the nation was formed. And the promise of the covenant that was given to Abraham to make him a nation, it was given to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. And then Jacob's name is changed to Israel when he wrestles with God. So they are more important as a people, as the people of God. They are firstborn. The the firstborn, that who was born first in the family, was considered the heir. That word heir is more meaningful and tied to firstborn here than actually a first birth that is given. So Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And as I said, Jehovah's Witnesses love to bring this up, but they, they miss the whole point. Not only do they not define the word correctly as given to us in Scripture, but the very definition of what takes place in verse 16 answers the very question. And that is this. For by Him, by Christ, all things were created. In the heavens, that's actually a plural in your Bible, heaven is 
given to you and appears sing- singular, but it is plural, in the heavens and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Genesis captures in verse 1, chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John defines that further in his gospel in saying, in the beginning was the Word, Christ, the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things that came into being, all things that were made, were by Him and no one else. All things came into existence by Him. And that's what verse 16 is saying. Now the logic of this whole message that's here. If Jesus, if Christ is the creator of all things in the heavens and on the earth, that covers the entire universe. All things with regards to rank and authority, all rulers, all dominions, all powers, whether spiritual, angelic, demonic, it doesn't matter. He created it all. And they're for Him. If He has done all those things, then logically, He is uncreated. We sing a hymn here. Holy, uncreated one. That is true of Jesus. But the Jehovah's Witnesses and Arians want us to believe that He is not deity. J.I. Packer has said this is perhaps one of the most difficult of all the doctrines to even comprehend and he says but it's true because the word of God proclaims it the proof is there in verse 16 all things are created by him visible and invisible and when you think about it when you dwell upon it for just moments you see the grandeur of who he is and what he has created we have a tendency to think that everything revolves around us. Don't we? I mean, think about it. From our jobs, family, career, and everything, we, we easily do that. And it's, it's as if we're even saying, you know, and planet Earth, you know, this is the end-all, be-all. And everything revolves around it. Charles Spurgeon said no. He put forth this illustration. He goes... Just like all of us think everything revolves around us, that's bad knowledge. That's bad education. That's not looking at how we were created as image bearers of God. He says a better way to think of this, a better way to look at that, if you could go and be on the surface of the sun and you were large enough and you had the, the vision, the ability to see you would soon realize that everything revolves about around the sun. Mercury and Venus, Earth, all the planets, all the moon, all the stars is all going around the sun. And then he says, we need to quit thinking about ourselves and everything revolving, revolving around us and think about everything revolves and is centered on the Son, S-O-N, of righteousness. The Son of righteousness. Do you live your life during the week 
thinking about Jesus as very God of very God in all that you do? Do you perceive Him that way? When the thoughts of what's going on in your work life, in your marriage, with your kids, and all of those things, do you, do you realize that you have access to the God of the universe who came and dwelt among us, who taught us, as the author of Hebrews said, and in these last days He has spoken to us through His Word. He's given us everything, Peter says in his second letter, for life and godliness. Not only is He human, approachable, and inviting, but He's very God. So all the little problems that we have in life, and they are little problems, the greatest problem that we have in life are sin and separation from Him. He's taken care of that, and we get that taken care of, and then we want to relax, have our little hallmark moment. Let Jesus be over here and the rest of my life over here. Instead, we're to think of God and not only as human, but as very God of very God. So everything that happens in my life, I want to live it for God, for Christ, my Savior, and my Lord. We want to do that. So our prayer life should be explosive. We should want to take everything before Him because He is preeminent that He is Christ their Creator. And so as we think of it this way, we soon move away from creation and thinking about this creation that He has made. Not only has He made it, but He sustains it. That's our second point. Christ the Sustainer. The passage says, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Andrew Peterson has a a song that I wish we could have sung here this morning. It is this particular passage, 15 through 20, put to music. It's beautiful. I commend you to it. You can look if you have Spotify or something else. He holds all things together. All things. But we need to think of Him as not only the creator of these things, but as its sustainer. Even when he was a babe in the manger, he sustained all things. Carl Sagan was a gentleman that used to have a program called Cosmos. And in it, he would talk about the stars and he would talk about things that were discovered because of the uh, Hubble telescope. You know, there was a time here where we used to think that the Milky Way, the galaxy that we're in, was the only one. And then the Hubble telescope came along and it went out and Carl Sagan used to have this um, phrase that he would use that almost um, credited to him, but he would say, talking about stars, billions and billions. And he used to say that there were 300 two to three hundred sextillion stars. Billions and billions. If you do a Google search, you can look at how many galaxies are in the universe. Now, we don't know for sure. It's scientists, yes, they're doing their best math to calculate this and figure it all out. You can go to Google and it'll say 200 billion to 2 trillion galaxies. All in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ who sustains all things. 
In Genesis, it talks about creating the sun, the moon, and the stars and set them in their place. There's not a star that falls. used to love as a little kid when we would camp out and sleep outside the tent. And we would look up at the stars and we would want to see a shooting star. And you'd see it. Hey, did you see that? Even those He controls and sustains. He sustains the weather. He sustains us with the very life breath that we have. Paul said in Acts 17 when he was on Mars Hill, in Him we move and breathe and have our existence. He sustains us. If Jesus for one moment, one moment took a step back and went, you know what? Let them have it, have it themselves. Everything would vaporize. It would be gone. He sustains all things. He's before all things. That means He's eternal. Before God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit determined to create the heavens and the earth, He was there. He's before all things. It's another word for preeminent there. And in Him all things hold together. Jesus had said regarding His preeminence before Abraham was, I am. The, the magnitude of the universe, the billions and billions of stars, all of those things, just takes our breath away. I mean, David, even David in Psalm 8, he says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Isn't that amazing? Out of all the galaxies that scientists want to say that we have, there's probably more than what they actually say, that He, Jesus, is creator of and sustainer of, keeping everything right where it needs to be. He is mindful of us. He became one of us. Do you think of Jesus that way? Do you perceive of all the wonder that He is in God and all that He created that He cared for you and for me? How do you perceive Jesus? Of all the fabulous things there are in the world to see, from mountain peaks to oceans, to valleys, the sky above that is blue, to waterfalls, to beaches, you name it. Think of the most beautiful things that you've ever seen in life. Now, how do you perceive Jesus? Is His Godness and His humanity equally balanced, not the most beautiful thing in the world? That He would care for you and me, knowing that He was coming, not only to sustain us, but then also to redeem us. Christ does this. Our passage says that He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. He is sovereign. We see those words there that Christ is the head of the church. I want you to think of your own body. 
for just a moment. You have many fingers and toes and arms and legs and everything else. But what controls all of it? It's the head. It's the mind. It's the brain. Christ is the head of the church. He is Lord of the church. He is over all things. As our minds think, so we move. Think about the Word of God that is given to us. Jesus' words to us. He speaks and we should, just as my right hand and my left hand and my feet should obey. Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done in your church, Lord, as you will it. He is the head of the church. The body. We should think more about Jesus, not only as God, but the head of the church. That of all that creation, He would take this new creation that He has founded Himself. That's what it means that He is the beginning. He started what we know as the assembly, the ecclesia, the church, whom He is the head of. Who He did a new creation. Brought them to faith. Brought them to life. And as an example of Himself of what is yet to come, He is the firstborn of the dead. He isn't the first one ever to be resurrected. This is speaking about the resurrection. Jesus Himself resurrected Lazarus. The son of the woman in the town of Nain. The casket being carried out. Jesus being filled with compassion. Spoke. Rose from the dead. He is not the first to be risen from the dead, but He is the first that is the glorified from the dead. In the presence of that resurrection speaks to us that what He is, so too we have in Him. He is the head. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn, the resurrection. That in Him, He might be preeminent. Be the first Do you perceive Jesus that way? That He is first. That He is preeminent in all things. Not only in creation. Not only in sustaining. But as Redeemer. He is all that we need. Verse 19 says, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. William Plummer was a theologian in the 1800s. The early 1800s. He wrote a piece on the person of Christ. And in it, he's explaining that Christ is very God of very God. This here that Paul pens, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God's omnipotence, His power. The disciples with Jesus on a boat saying, let's go to the other side. And then Jesus decides to take a nap. And the winds stir up and the waves stir up. The passage tells us in Luke 9 that it's filling up the boat. Jesus, we're perishing. He raises up 
and he rebukes the wind and the waves and all is calm. The omnipotence of God in the person of Jesus. Jesus will say that he, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And we believe in his hypostatic union, him being God and man, and he is seated at the right hand. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is who dwells with us, who he sends to be with us. But he is still omnipresent. He is omniscient, knows all things. He even knew the hearts of men and He would not give Himself over to those when He was looking to fulfill His ministry. There are many things in the Old Testament and the New Testament that speak about Christ and who He is and the attributes that He has. He is very God of very God. And this one, Jesus, who is God, came to reconcile all things to Himself whether on heaven or whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I won't take too much time here to talk about reconciliation and redemption. That's going to follow next week in verses 21 through 23. We'll get more in-depth there. But what I will say about this is the reconciling of all things together. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he talks about the purpose there that is to unite all things in Christ. We're not separate from Him. This God of all creation, this God of the entire universe, He's going to make all things right. This doesn't speak of universalism, but it does speak of all things coming together in Him, both for the believer and for the unbeliever. Paul says in Philippians, in that great passage in chapter 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The reconciliation of all things will recognize Jesus, the Christ, as being very God of very God. So what does this mean for us? How do we perceive Christ? Was the question I had at the beginning. It should be everything to us. It should mean everything to us. It should be incorporated in every fabric of our being. Kent Hughes ended his commentary on this. What does it mean to us? Christ has first place. First place in our families. First place in our marriages. First place in our professions and our careers. First place in our mission and ministry. First place in matters of the intellect. First place in our time. First place in our love. First place in our conversations. First place in our pleasures. First place in our eating. First place in our play. First place in athletics. First place in our entertainment. First place in our art. First place in our music. First place in our worship. Christ should be to us all things. All things as He created them. All things as He sustained them. And for us who are redeemed, He should be all things to us. Pray that we will be able to see Christ as the preeminent one. Let us pray. 
Father in heaven, we do thank you that you are preeminent, that this passage speaks so much further than I can even begin to wax eloquently. Lord, I pray that we would meditate upon this, that we should think about this throughout the week to come, that you would help us to perceive Jesus as very God is very God and very human, powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, and yet inviting and approachable. Let us have a balance in our lives and see that in Him, in Him, we have all that we need. In Christ's name, amen.